Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, my finest of friends. It's me, Richard Herring, and this is Can I Have My Ball Back? It's a podcast series all about gonads, grapes and ghoulies. There's hardly anything about grapes, but we had to alliterate and my producer feels that testicles resemble grapes. If your testicles resemble grapes, probably see a doctor, especially if they're red grapes. In part, it's about one of my own giggleberries and its epic journey from my scrotum in my trousers to a container in a mysterious hospital lab, a bit like the Ark of the Covenant in Indiana Jones, waiting to be opened. But it's also a celebration of sweetbreads in general. This is episode nine. It's difficult to come up with euphemisms by episode nine, but this is episode nine. And there's a bumper interview with comedian and fellow meat and one veg owner, Simon Munnery, to look forward to. There are a few comedians who have gone down to one, and Simon was a pioneer in this regard. Uh, of course, we have more of your brilliant emails on all things nuts. But first, we need to wrap up my own story, and that's because this episode will mark the end of my junk journey, at least for now. Hopefully, hopefully there's not going to be a second chapter. Last time round, I met my oncologist for the very first time and agreed to undergo a course, and a very short course, of chemotherapy. Now, that momentous day had arrived. 
The day of my chemotherapy arrived. Uh, I was up early to get to the cancer centre and I ended up being the first person in the queue when the chemo ward opened its doors. I was shown into the waiting room and given some forms to fill in. A nurse came over to weigh me and measure my height. She told me I was 177 centimetres tall. That sounded wrong to me. I was pretty sure I was about 168 centimetres, but I wasn't totally sure, because like most British people, I've resisted switching from imperial measurements for, and only for, height and car speed. Uh, a decision vindicated by Brexit. Thank you very much. That was, it's all been worth it. Well done. All I knew was that I was an impressive five foot, seven inches tall, if you're rounding up, from just under five feet, six and a half. But I wasn't going to disagree with a medical professional. Uh, she knew what she was doing. She must have measured thousands of people. She only had to take my height off a vertical ruler. How likely was she to be like nine centimetres out? I must have misremembered my own metric height. I went and sat down in the waiting room. And sitting there, I was wondering why they weighed you and measured you. What if it was how they decided how much chemo drugs to give you? And what if I was given the dose of a man who was over three inches taller than me? I mean, that might make me explode. Uh, <laughs> There was a part of my brain telling me not to complain. This extra height would seriously improve my BMI. Um, <laughs> according to this ridiculous system, I was currently obese. But if I was nine centimetres tall... If I was nine centimetres taller... <laughs> OK. Then I'd merely be overweight. That was something I'd dreamed about. I'd had now achieved it, not by months of dieting and exercise, but by simply standing still and possibly being measured incorrectly. That's a win. I eventually realised I wasn't actually prepared to die for the sake of vanity, and I went back to the nurse to query her measurement. She was still adamant I was 1 metre 77. She said my height might seem different because I was wearing shoes. But I don't think my trainers were giving me a 9 centimetre boost. I searched 1 metre 77 in feet and inches on my phone and Google informed me that it was around five foot ten. Now, unless my right bollock had been really dragging me down all those years, <laughs> I was definitely not that tall. I insisted the nurse she'd made a mistake. She insisted she hadn't, but in order to shut me up, she measured me again, and as if by magic, I'd shrunk back to my normal tiny size. <laughs> For three minutes, I'd lived the exhilarating life of a man who wouldn't automatically be discounted by 75% of women on a dating app. <laughs> Why hadn't I gone on a dating app in those three minutes? <laughs> it wasn't the most reassuring thing to happen before undergoing a scary procedure like chemotherapy. I mean, it was, what if they got those measurements wrong as well? Uh, I got taken through to my chair in the chemo ward. On one side of me was a happy tattooed man in a leather jacket. He had headphones on, was bouncing his head to the music. He seemed to know the staff. He was very relaxed about the treatment. He was clearly a pro. Uh, he was wearing his COVID mask, but only over his mouth which is a bit like wearing a condom on the bottom half of your penis. But I let it go. Wasn't the time to exercise that particular bugbear. I didn't want to get into a fight in a chemo ward. Um, plus, we'd all pass COVID and temperature tests to enter the building. So, yeah, let the guy breathe a bit. He's having a tough time. I was understandably jittery, but the staff were full of cheer and banter and inappropriate jokes, which is precisely what was required. My nurse looked at my arm hungrily, claiming she wanted to find a fresh bone. I had so little clue about what chemo actually was, I wasn't sure if she was completely joking. <laughs> As it turned out, chemo goes into your veins, but they had trouble finding one of mine. The first nurse gave up without even trying, and the second nurse had two goes. It was like pinning a tail on a donkey. On his second attempt, he said, I don't really like having to do this before going in via the back of my hand. Uh, I don't know why that was worse than the arm, but in any case, it didn't work. Was I going to discover that although I was cancer-free, I had the more serious condition of having no blood? Um, <laughs> 
was this my body at fault or did no one at this place know what they were doing? I started to wonder if this was a real chemo department or if it seemed suspiciously like Alan Sugar had instructed his apprentices <laughs> to set up a hospital service and they were fronting it out like they knew how to use measuring devices and needles. It might be a bit extreme for them to treat real chemo patients, but, you know, think of the ratings. Um, <laughs> nurse 2 called for a third member of staff at which the first nurse chirruped, if we're calling for her, this must be serious. Uh, luckily, the senior members of staff was used to people with uncooperative veins and slapped at my skin until she found something that she could work with deeper in my arm. At last, she successfully pinned the tail on my donkey, although without a blindfold, so I'm not that impressed. Um, these three attempts would be the only uncomfortable part of the whole procedure, and very mildly at that, everything else passed without incident. For the first 10 minutes, they put saline solution into your bloodstream. I don't know why. I guess it's if you die, the salt will make your meat a bit tastier. <laughs> then the chemo drugs went in for like maybe 35 minutes and then they flush out your system again at the end. Uh, actually, the longest bit was waiting around for a bag of drugs at the end. But, you know, I probably shouldn't have called my drug dealer at this particular time. <laughs> inappropriate after the procedure was over I had to wait ages for them to get my meds from the pharmacy but finally someone gave me a bag of drugs uh, I had some pills to counter nausea which might or might not be a side effect and some injections to shoot into my stomach over the next few days to help with my white blood cell count the chemo had no immediate side effects I felt exactly the same as before which was annoying as I'd hoped it would give me superpowers <laughs> I dreamed I would inherit all the abilities of the needle that had bitten me or the bag that dripped the chemo into me but apart from a very full bladder there was nothing if pissing like a horse was my superpower, then I'd been badly served. Partly because I was more than capable of doing that already. <laughs> you have to wipe up your wee, because it's like alien blood. It goes through the floor if it hits the floor. Um, for a bit. I bid goodbye to the team and said I hoped I'd never see them again, and they agreed that they didn't want to see me again either. It was the nicest possible thing we could say to each other. So, like, I had a sort of weird reaction to... It was fine for a bit, and then um, I sort of got very tired and felt a bit nauseous. My, it was a bank holiday, and my family all went off for a barbecue, and I was left at home. I felt a bit better the next day, and I had the first of the three injections to boost my white blood cell count. Katie willingly volunteered to spike me. I guess she had a lot of frustrations to work through. <laughs> I was glad she did, though. It was a slightly complicated procedure involving grabbing a bit of stomach fat and popping the needle in at the right angle, and I would definitely have balls it up, or balled it up. Um, <laughs> around this time, I got a letter from Dr. Sharma, which documented all the stuff we talked about before the chemo. He also gave me some more info about my ball tumour. Now, I knew it had been pretty big. All the professionals had remarked upon it. But before now, I hadn't had any idea of the actual dimensions. The letter explained that the tumour measured an impressive and still slightly unbelievable 6 centimetres by 4.4 centimetres by 2 centimetres. I'd known it was long, but I was surprised to learn it was almost as broad as it was tall. Uh, it's bigger than my actual testicle. It was like my testicle was a TARDIS. Um, <laughs> sending my sperm back into the past. I was probably my own granddad. That's probably what's happening. <laughs> uh, if it's hard enough to picture exactly how big that was, I nicked some of my son Ernie's Play-Doh and crafted a model to those dimensions. I don't know if Ian Play-Doh, the inventor of Play-Doh, ever envisioned it. <laughs> being used for this purpose but I recommend you take the time to do so as you listen to this podcast you can use whatever malleable substance you have to hand 6 centimetres by 4.4 centimetres by 2 centimetres have you done it? we're not carrying on until you've done it all of you I want you all to have my ball in your hand alright it's pretty big you would think I'd have noticed a lump like that hitching a ride in my nadja papoose and I suppose in the end I did it's amazing to me that there was still a question in my mind, even when I first went to see the GP, that anything was really wrong. Who would have guessed that my right bollock puppet was so near to being to scale? 
the more I thought about the dimensions of my unwelcome intruder, the more I started wondering about the person whose job it is to measure cancerous knackers. You know, how do they know the exact dimensions of it? It's not the glamour job of the hospital, is it? Is it something that people want to do? Or do they, you know, if you've done a sloppy job in surgery, right, you're measuring the balls now. I just hope they wipe the ruler afterwards. Whoever it was who completed that task, it struck me they were probably the last person to ever handle my ball. They got it sized, noted it down, then chucked it in the bin. What an ignoble end for the godlike Genesis machine that I'd had in my scrotum. It was handled by so many, but from memory at least, only the last one actually measured it. And that was the last instalment of my thrilling stand-up story of going from two testicles to one testicle. Coming up soon, my thrilling story of going from one testicle, maybe to three testicles. That would be a surprise. Comedy's all about surprise. Or maybe down to zero. If anything changes, it's probably going to be in the negative. But, you know, the remaining testicle may self-reproduce like one of those lizards that in difficult times becomes asexual. That's what I'm guessing. Uh, If you have enjoyed this podcast, even if you haven't enjoyed it, why don't you check out my fantastic book, Can I Have My Ball Back?, which goes into the story in much more detail, has even more facts about testicles, and is available from all good bookshops in paperback now and in some bad bookshops as well. Not yet in discount bookshops, though. So, you know, you you have to decide, am I going to wait to see if I can get it for £1.50 in the works? Or are you going to go now and buy it? You know, it's like being a trader in the city, isn't it? You have to decide. Anyway, look, my next guest is someone I have known for a long, long time, many years since I was a child, in fact. He had testicular cancer way before I did. He was a pioneer of testicular cancer in the comedy world. So I was really interested to compare experiences and talk about this and all sorts of things. He's an absolute genius comedian and he met me in his home. And when I say his home, he met me in his nice, in his shed. It was a nice shed, but I'm going to tell you, he did not let me in the house. So I don't know what that says about me. Let's find out who this mysterious comedy genius with one testicle could be. Okay, I'm here with comedian and uh, <laughs> artist, poet, Simon Munnery. Shed builder. <laughs> shed builder. Thank I've you. seen a shed. You've you seen the evidence. I've seen it. Yes. Uh, in his lovely uh, home in Bedfordshire. Are we in Bedfordshire? We're in Bedfordshire. Uh, very nice. Yeah. And Simon, you've had testicular cancer, as have I. I, I have had testicular it's, cancer. You had yeah. it first, I thought. If Simon, I was first. If yeah. Simon's I'm done just it. following the trend. <laughs> have a go. I imagine we'll end up on TikTok, shaking our bollock. <laughs> it was a little oh, while ago, wasn't oh, it? I'm you not were... really bad at that sort of thing. It must be 20 years ago. Yeah. Before you had any kids, right? So yes. You, yeah, that's so what that, spurred so that's, me on. Yeah, that's, I thought, well, come yeah, on. I used to do a joke about it. I used to say, um, next thing, wife pregnant. Turned out I didn't need the other one. It was holding me back. So how did you discover this and did you act immediately? Or How I discovered that I tested you cancer. I was at my in-laws farm in Dorigo, New South Wales, right up on the plateau. I was helping doing cattle work. Wow. My specific job that day, it was to hold the leg of the male calf 
Well, it's put into a race, I think, or a trap. It's called it a race or a trap. Anyway, it's a metal thing that clamps the cow. Wow. Not cow. It's not a cow. It's a bull at this point. <laughs> okay. And it still stays a bull. It doesn't change gender. They're not fluid. Cows, cattle. <laughs> anyway, they flip it over on its side. And the bloke, whose name was Robert Pitkin, he's dead now, RIP, but he was a ex-copper from New South Wales, hard as nails. Hard as very, very hard nails that have been hardened for a long time. All right, mate? And um, I would hold the leg. He'd chop the testicle off throw it over his shoulder to his dog um, and every so often he'd take a little break and he'd go Simon shall we do you now <laughs> and it was hilarious uh, the first four or five times anyway that evening I go in uh, Dorigo's in the middle of nowhere so it's miles even from Dorigo the farm was yeah. it's about an hour's drive till you get to the tiny village and then another <laughs> two hours till you get to a tent anyway I've got a little bulge in my groin area <laughs> not the normal one. <laughs> I've, I've managed to identify the causes of that. Um, no, I had a bulge in my groin area, and uh, so I showed my mother-in-law, <laughs> who's the nearest source of medical knowledge. I just, <laughs> what do you think? That is? I have no idea, but you better, better get you to a doctor. Yeah. You know, hours drive down to the doctor in Dorigo. He has a look. He says, "No, nah, you got to go to Coffs Harbour. You don't get that scanned." I don't know what that is. Yeah. Down there, I get an ultrasound scan. He's, he's rubbing it slowly, and uh, it's a hernia. Right. It turned out. But while he was doing it, he also scanned my testicles. And uh, he called another boat with a beard. And that's when I knew it was serious. <laughs> and he goes, you've got cancer. I go, what? You've got testicular cancer. Wow. Um, yeah, we just carried on. We were on holiday, I think. And flying back, my wife Janet thought, because I've uh, <laughs> got a diagnosis of testicular cancer, that meant I could possibly be bumped up from economy to business. <laughs> but it, it didn't work like that. They took us off the flight for quite a while. But we got back on it because a woman who worked behind the counter's husband had had testicular cancer okay. and she got us back on the flight okay. for, in economy. But it's, it's, it's a little they, tip. they took you uh, off because uh, you were saying, we asking for an upgrade or just because they didn't want No, to no, not because you're asking for Because you're ill. Because you're ill. You so don't want ill people fly. on planes. Okay, right. right. But I wasn't ill. No, you... Yeah. I was in no sense ill. No. Uh, at no point along any of this process was I ill. No. Anyway, then I go back and uh, in the system, yeah, you got testicular cancer, got scanned again. Was it surgery immediately after that? Was that, that the was only it, option? W- yes. Yeah. And I remember that night, I remember going into the, I was going to say hotel, but in fact hotel and hospital were from the same route. Yes. I went to the hotel hospital. <laughs> but I was totally well. I'd never felt weller. Yeah. And, um, well, the first thing, they give you a form. You have to sign off for the possible consequences. Illness, infection, death. You just sign that away. Yeah. And you're like, you know, I'm going to go under anaesthetic. I wasn't worried about the cancer so much as being cut up with a knife. Yeah. Under anaesthetics. And people do die from that. And I'd signed off against it. And uh, the atmosphere in that ward, like, so it's either people who have just had the operation and they come back in their white gown with a distinctive red splash down it, groggy and, you know, oh, well, he's, at least he's still alive or whatever. But so it's those people and then there's the pre-people who are... There was one group of them just all night just talking manically to each other down the end. And I, didn't, I read King Lear. <laughs> I can't remember a word of it, but I read the whole thing. Wow. And at some point I thought, I'm just sick of sitting in this bloody ward waiting for tomorrow. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going out to the pub. And I put a coat on over me and went down the pub. I thought, I could die. Maybe I should... Ring someone and say goodbye. So I rang a couple of them, they weren't in. And the country's like leaving a message. And I was, oh, well. Bang, woke up. It was done. And uh, next thing, why pregnant? Um, <laughs> the, but then once you're in the system, yeah. then I had a, a CAT scan every six months. Yes. A CAT, rub it slowly over your body, fit me out, she real. Uh, yeah, CAT scan. 
I, I did a once. I mean, I can't remember it. This is probably fragments of it will crop up. I did a whole show about it. Right. At the time, which was was all right. It was quite a good show. I had to sit down because I was on chemo. Right. Then. Yeah. Except for Brighton. Have you ever thought of a thing just before you go on that is hilarious and turns out not to? Be? <laughs> Of course. <laughs> yeah. it's like, there's one that says, it's that thing you think of just before. This show I'll be going on, sitting down, the opening was good evening, I've got cancer. Yeah. Right. Fine. And the rest of it is a sort of true story about how it happened and thoughts about that. Anyway, it's about 45, 50 minutes long. Uh, in Brighton, I remember, backstage there was one of those... Uh, I had to sit down. I could not stand up for the whole hour. Yeah. I could walk. I'd just get really tired. Anyway... They've got one of those spinny office chairs with wheels. I thought, do you know what? I've never gone on stage on a spinny chair. Wouldn't that just be the most amazing, fun thing to do? And so I went on on the spinny chair, spinning round, stopped, went, uh, good evening, I've got cancer. And this bloke goes, bollocks. And I, and I go, yes, I'll be coming to it. But they did, as a group, as a whole crowd, did not believe me. Right. If you don't believe that opening line, the yeah. central narrative, this is a slightly story. It's a bloke making a a slightly lame story about having cancer when he clearly doesn't. Look at him spinning around <laughs> on his chair. Yeah, so there's that. All right, so my, my continuing cancer story yes. goes on. Um, so then I'm getting scanned every six months, CAT scan, and eventually they found a, a, an abnormality. Right. Uh, and I had what it's called, I think it was like a year later, two years later, relapse seminoma. Some cells in my gut somewhere a CAT scan had revealed them to be cancerous. So it's a comparison between one CAT scan and another CAT scan. Right. But anyway, once you're on the railroads of industrial medicine, I just coined that phrase, but anyway, <laughs> once you're on the railroads, it works out very well from the department's point of view if they have an early intervention. They're always very keen on early interventions because you may have got better anyway. It's like you go to the doctor and they go, well, come back in a month. Oh, you're well. Or, you know, surgeons take the credit, but it's the body that heals itself. That is the miraculous thing that you can cut someone up and it bloody heals. Yeah. It's not some magic of their sword, <laughs> uh, I don't think. Anyway, you've got cancer again, but it's great. We've got it early. This time you need chemotherapy. And what are my options? Uh, I have nothing, then, you know, there's a chance you'll die. Um, I can't remember what the chance was. But the best two options, I remember, were 99% successful chemo, the traditional one, or the new experimental 98% successful carboplatin chemotherapy, but the plus side is you keep your hair. Okay, but I'm not ill. Yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you've got cancer, right? What do you do? And I was like, oh, and I went for the hair option. (laughs) I regret it now. (laughs) That's what I had. I'd go in every month or so, be in that ward where they give you the drip for an hour, and you, it's just poison. You know, yeah. the, the aim is it's going to poison the cancer more than the cancer. Talking to some bloke, having a fag out on the smoking balcony of the uh, chemo ward, yes. and talking to this bloke, and he's going, yeah, the first time they do you, it lasts seven years. The second time, three and a half, they don't do you a third. Right. So that's the that's, third so, um, okay. <laughs> this is sort of inside knowledge of how it works. And uh, yeah, anyway, they did it. I took the chemo, got weaker, pretty weak. I was in Edinburgh and I did a show about it in Edinburgh. I did three shows that year. I did a trilogy. <laughs> Top that, really. I can't, with no. cancer. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Otherwise, mental. Cancer. I was in complete denial. I didn't feel ill, wasn't yeah. ill, even though I was on chemo. Came down for my last chemo shot. I flew down from Edinburgh. Right. And I was staying at Kevin's. Yeah. And I'm just saying he's at the night getting the first flight back in the morning. And he's got a film shoot at five or something. He says, whatever you do, son, please don't wake me. <laughs> anyway, I've got my 
dressing gown on, as I remember. You know, just reasonable summer's night. But anyway, I just opened his front door on the balcony to have a fag. Yeah. And uh, there was a gust of wind and the door slammed shut. And I'm going, oh, oh don't wake him. It was about half past 11. You know, not late, late, but he's you've gone yeah. to bed already. Don't wake him. <laughs> Right, oh, there's a window's open up there. Maybe I could try the drain pipes. No. Oh, right. Um, oh, I just, all I need is just someone to leave the tarp up around the corner. <laughs> yeah. So I went round hers. I was still in the dressing room. She wasn't in. And I came back and I thought, oh, well, I'll just sleep on the step. Yeah. So I did that for a bit, and that may be why I lost the use of my arm. Oh, God. But anyway, I did that for as long as I could, but it was really freezing. It must have been about 4am I woke him up. <laughs> It's the worst of the world. I should have woken him up to straight, straight away, away, 11 o'clock. You know. Anyway, so I, I had tried to sleep oh, on God. my arm, the one that then got nerve damage. And then back in Edinburgh, a night later, two nights later, I'm holding eldest daughter, who's about one, one and a half, you know, still a baby, really. And uh, wife and friend are at, they're out seeing shows and I'm just holding them oh man my arm starts aching and aching and aching and really like ow they come back I go yeah how's the baby I went across the pub it's about half past one but it was still open double brandy nothing I mean it didn't help right. just like fuck <laughs> and then uh, I jumped in a cab went to the hospital queued up some paracetamol thanks <laughs> uh, didn't really didn't really cut it anyway I'm just just in agony all night more and more pain, just can't get rid of this pain. It's like the whole thing was in spasm and clenched. I had history of it. I'd had a frozen shoulder before from sleeping on a stone floor, I think. But anyway, I'd regained it and it was all hadn't happened for years. But there must have been an inherent weakness on the left side. Yeah. And I'd slept on this stone floor. Anyway, more agony. Go back to hospital the next morning and eventually someone gives me morphine and I haven't slept for 24 hours and I was at last able to sleep right. and the pain had gone. But um, by then it was too late, the nerve damage had been done. Right. And then I was with the uh, neurology department at a famous London hospital for a while, and uh, they don't know much, I'd say. <laughs> uh, I mean, they do, it's classic, they do the thing with the hammer, you know, the knee. Yeah. And, and they, they bang you to see, that's the level of... And they had an electrical test. Yeah. I did had it twice. First they told me it's in your neck and the second time it's in your shoulder where, where the fault was. Right. But everyone's map of nerves is completely unique, like a tree. You might look in a biology textbook and there's a map of nerves. Mm. Well, that's a map. Everyone's is completely different. Okay. There's no point having a neurology department, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, from what I learned. Anyway, so I go, I'll come back in six months. So I went back in six months and it's uh, come back in six months, come back in six... You know, it might get better on its own. Was, is there anything I can do? Any, any, any diet? Should I eat bananas? <laughs> what should I... No, no, no. And then after three, six months, I was just discharged. Right. And that's it. Lost partial use of his hand. Yeah. Partial use. I mean, you know, I can still... <laughs> say punch with it. No, I can, <laughs> no, I can, um, I can hold things. Like that. I can hold, hold yeah. stuff. But um, not anything else. No, no, I can't play the guitar. But I couldn't before I started. So <laughs> no, no change there. Um... But I got 10 minutes out of it, it's all right. <laughs> well, as a comedian, there was a big part of me. When I'd first gone in to the doctor... Was it your t- testicle? Yeah, well, it was. But he told me it was probably wasn't anything. And I was happy, but I was also slightly disappointed that yes. I wouldn't get a show out of it. And, genuinely, <laughs> and then I got that it turned out it was something. So, but, you know, there is, as a comedian, all these things 
You know, so it's all grist to the if mill. They don't, if they don't kill us, yeah. then it's, that it's which okay. not kill us <laughs> might get a laugh. <laughs> you know, and I've told other comedians about it. You know, you can see they're almost like, ah, oh, lucky bastard. You know, <laughs> he, get, he get an hour out of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like it's worked out well for me losing this ball. I've got uh, a book out of it. It's now in paperback, you may know. I've got a thread in my... Radio 4 sitcom Relativity about it. I've got this podcast series. I've got a fantastic ventriloquist act involving right bollock. Eee, I'm the right bollock. Get back in the scrotum. I don't want to go back in the scrotum. And here's some big news for you. I am touring the stand-up show, Can I Have My Ball Back, from April to July at least in 2024, which will be travelling around the UK. I would love to see you there. Head to richardherring.com for details. That will be uploaded as soon as we have all of the gigs confirmed, but I'm very excited about that. Right Bollock's going to be in it, so you can meet him after the show, get his autograph. Uh, You probably don't want his autograph because the stuff he signs with, it's not ink. That's all I'm going to say. We have some adverts for you now, you lucky people, but we will be back in a minute for more chat from the remarkable Simon Munry and his shed. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Can I Have My Ball Back? And we're carrying on with the interview with comedian and fellow monoballer, Simon Munnery. Together, our balls make the balls of one man. But we are two men like some kind of two-headed monster from medieval times. I asked Simon if he knew what had caused his testicular cancer. When I was 11, I had a testicle brought down uh, from Birmingham. (laughs) Uh, uh, no Uh, I don't know why exactly like was it my idea or was it cosmetic or what it was exactly I had a testicle that hadn't descended I had an operation I remember it being very awkward the last year of primary school 
but that is a major cause of testicular cancer later, 30 yeah. years later. I don't remember anyone saying, by the way, <laughs> this is going to give you cancer later. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of sceptical about any kind of surgery. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to stay away from doctors as long as it's I can. It's strange they didn't tell you. And I think if that happens, they should be looking at you every couple of years just to check yeah. everything's well, okay. I think it'd be nice to have mentioned it. <laughs> just mentioned it. But if they knew go. that at the time, they may not have known that at the well, time. Well, it's interesting how little, you know, talking to Bob Champion, it was interesting how... 40 years ago, how chemotherapy was in its infancy and people didn't even know testicular cancer was a thing, really. You know. Hardly even fashionable. No. But then I found no-one said until after I'd had everything taken off and got the diagnosis, because they didn't diagnose... Well, until they took it, was it off ready. first. They took it off and then they said, we think we don't know what it is, but we have to take it off. But then once they told me it was cancer, they said, oh, but it's 99% survivable. But I spent like six weeks basically thinking, I've got cancer. Yeah. Therefore... Just, just that phrase. Yeah, therefore I am dead, basically. Well, there's um, some study they did in Australia of uh, mastectomies. Right. And a, a large proportion are completely unnecessary. But what it is, we've got quite advanced scanning techniques, yeah. uh, mammograms, and they'll find some abnormal cells. But a large proportion of these will turn out to be benign. Yeah. Will go back down. But as soon as you say to someone, you've got cancer, the alarm bells start ringing and you're on a medical route to whatever. You, yeah. it, there's a, a tendency to intervene. Yes. On the other hand, there's the placebo effect and other effects like that. The fact you believe in it yeah. uh, helps. So... And if you didn't, and, and I, to some extent I don't. So it, okay, the classic example, when I'm having a blood test, to me, in a way, it's a woman coming at me with a very tiny knife. <laughs> right? uh, just to get the... I don't look, I've never punched a nurse. Uh, but I, if you really did not believe in Western medicine... Yeah. The sheer terror might kill you. Yes, yeah. But, you know, I think with science, it's understanding that you're making a progression and with medicine, you're making a progression and hopefully moving forward to something. But, yes, but, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. But, you know, testicular cancer now, you know, 40 years ago, the survival rates were 40% and now they're 95 99%, something like that. So, right. So, and it's interesting. I think when you're going through it, it's great to have the example of people who have had it 20 years ago and are still here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that, no. that's a very comforting thought. Yeah. I can't imagine there was for you, and there wasn't for me, really. Was there any fear of losing masculinity and losing a testicle, or did, did that cross your mind? I mean, I didn't, I didn't think that to myself, but I suppose in the back of my mind, it was yeah. something like that. What effect does that have? Yeah. I, you know, I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Voluntarily... Um, did I fear losing masculinity? Not then. No. But now, yeah. <laughs> I really do. Well, no, I've got evidence. Yeah. So I go back to the hospital for a blood test, various markers. I mean, they used to get me off on the table and give me a little squeeze. Yeah. That hasn't happened for a long time. <laughs> you know, you live in hope. No. Um, they take my blood pressure as well. Yeah. Um, normally after the blood test, and I'm needle phobic. I had to just right. recite the Lord's Prayer and look away. And sometimes it takes them three or four goes to get it in. It's not something I look forward to. Anyway, after they've put me through flight or fight syndrome, they then take my blood pressure and find it's really high. (laughs) I'll tell you why that is. It's the order in which you do these things. So I did have high blood pressure and they do all these blood tests. Anyway, I was out in the garden and the phone rings, mobile. Yeah, get me. (laughs) Uh, It's a woman's voice. She said, "Uh, do you know you've got a low testosterone count? I went, hello, cheeky. (laughs) (laughs) I I took it as flirtation. You've got a low testosterone. Why? See (laughs) Anyway, not critically low, but what's the effects of that? Um, Various ones, it's bad for your bones. Uh, You'll get arthritis, osteoporosis, some sort of things like that. Bad for your heart. 
There was a list of things, and she gave me some symptoms, one of which was uh, uncontrollable weeping. Right. Or weeping. I went, no, no, I don't weep. <laughs> and afterwards, I was like, oh, do I weep? And then uh, I was asking my daughter, said, yeah, you do. <laughs> you weep all the time. So I suppose I do. But, you know, <laughs> it just crept up on me. I just do a lot of weeping. Yeah. That's what I've become. Anyway, so then they offered me this testosterone gel, which you rub on your chest to replace it. And I said, I'll give it a go. I'm on for any kind of drug, really, just, you know, <laughs> the, the, the ones I haven't tried. Um, can I have some? Ah, well, actually, you've got a low platelet count, high blood pressure. So that's receded. They've several times teased me with the... Not teased me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you probably need some testosterone gel. Yeah. I might just get some online I'm and, sure and try it. it. So I've got a low testosterone. That is, you know, I think an effect probably of the... Yeah, I would have thought so. so lost yeah. use of the arm. But that's, a, you say, like, you're losing your muscle. I mean, well, like, I can still, my penis, yeah, I can still ejaculate. Yes, good. I don't know if I can impregnate. No. I haven't attempted that. With a uh, while. Well, I, I don't want to have any more children. No. Three's, <laughs> Three's a lot. Just fine. And I've got a dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's surely enough. Yeah. But, you know, as far as I know, that's all working fine. But maybe I've got a lower libido and witnesses, my daughter, say, you do weep easily. You weep? I yeah, do weep. So maybe. I mean, it's interesting. I, mean, oh, I, think, just, I just want to try it. Yeah. Give me some. Slap well, it on. Well, should, you should definitely get that. You know, I think it's a psychological thing as much as anything. And because it's seen as being the seat of manliness, and it is to the extent that the testicles produce sperm and testosterone and help you get erections... Do they? Yeah, I think there's something in there. That I was, springs. I don't know. <laughs> might be springs. It's more like well, a lot of men aren't happy to talk about this subject. You know, that's why a lot of men don't go to hospital because they leave it for too long. I think they've got a point. Yeah. As in, you go there, you'll get your diagnosis. I don't know. There's something about a diagnosis as well. Just once someone tells you something, you've got that. I mean, it's kind of a relief, but also then the psychological effects of that might contribute to whatever's happening to you. Sure. You know, if I could tell you, say I told you you're autistic, you might yeah. start behaving in a more autistic fashion. Possibly, yes. And no, you I think already there's, do. I think, there, I think there's some truth to that. But I don't know. It's, it's, you know, I wasn't a particularly masculine male before. It's I, not what the others say. This happened. I doesn't, it hasn't changed my feeling of who I am or anything like that. And I think some men might think, oh, if you, you're somehow less of a man as a result of that, or you're meant to grow balls and have more balls than you've got to be really The way masculine. balls is used, you know, yeah. man up, yeah, you yeah. know, show some balls. Yeah, yeah. Or, well, kind of like, oh, a bit but, you know, it's well, this, I'm old enough not to care. You no, know, I think I'm old enough not to care as well, but it's the weakest part of your body. It's overcompensating, isn't it? Because it's not in a macho, strong part of your body. It's the, you don't use your <laughs> testicles for fighting. <laughs> no, it's your weak spot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of it's, you know, a lot, it fucks with your, your mind. I find I've just become very paranoid about my other testicle, which isn't that surprising. <laughs> Bit of cage, <laughs> Yeah, well, I just worried that something... You know, nut squirrels come. I think, like, losing one, you know, there's two for a reason. The reason is that if you lose one, you've still got another one. I really don't think... There's, do you think there's a grand I designer? Think, I, well, I don't think, I think there isn't a grand designer. I think that's just why it's come out that way, because if you lose one, then you will have a better chance of procreating. So it's just mathematics... <laughs> well, the one plus one equals two. Yeah, one plus uh, branch one. Well, two is better value than one. If you do catch one of the brambles, you've That's got another one to go. Two arms. Why not three? <laughs> well, why, sometimes, why are there, Where are the things with three but arms? But sometimes nature, ex, nature experiments. So there are poly orchid people with three or four testicles. Are there? More. Yeah, not many. But That's a that, podcast. That happens. That's, they're the episodes. people you've got to track down. <laughs> See what they're doing. It's very rare, but there are more. So you know, po- I think, poly orchids. Yeah, poly orchids. 
orchids, yeah. And mono orchid is what you and I are. Now? Yeah. No, no, but is, I'd imagine a mono orchid would be someone who was born like that. Well, I think you become, you know, you, you can, become you can have it thrust orchid. upon you. I prefer semi-eunuch. Semi-eunuch semi is yeah. good, yeah. Demi-eunuch. Demi, 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 you're more like a demi-god, isn't it? <laughs> I am a demi-eunuch. <laughs> Fight ye not me. <laughs> There's an argument that it's made, and I don't think this is true, that testicles evolved to be weak to impress potential mates. By how, weak. by how you're prepared to, yeah, you know, the more vulnerable you are and the, yet you survive it, the, the, the more impressive you are, something uh, like that. Evolution, you know, uh, <laughs> this theory that that, 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 that. <laughs> what happened. Um, why has the giraffe got its long neck? When I was at school in biology textbooks, why the giraffe got its long neck? The previous view was the Lamarckian view that successive generations stretch their necks further to eat. eat. But that was, that was because uh, one generation stretches its neck. It doesn't mean the next generation will be born with stretched necks. No. It's got to be the evolutionary <coughs> argument, which was, uh, oh, there's a terrible drought, and all the shorter-necked horse-type creatures died out, but the ones that could reach the leaves... Yeah. And then that happened again and again <laughs> and again. All these terrible droughts that killed all the shorter... <laughs> it's nonsense! That's completely different. Giraffes don't very much eat from... Uh, they use their necks for show and fighting yeah. to impress ladies uh, and basically you come down to the mystery of what impresses ladies the peacock oh yes well it's what it is it's because it shows so much extra energy you've got to build and, yeah 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 <laughs> it's all just like in retrospect you can explain it that way it's kind of uh, evolution's kind of framework for oh it's survival of the fittest therefore it must be fittest and then we've got to find out why and we can invent this story but you predict me something you tell me something that's going to happen next and as far as i know no one's done that yeah there you go. Okay, well, that's very interesting. Uh, <laughs> we'll put that, we'll put I thought that you said it didn't have to be funny. <laughs> it doesn't have to be funny. But, uh, anyway. Did having cancer change your perspective on life or your approach to life? You had kids. Would yes. That, would that have happened anyway or would, was, I, I, uh, would it sort of I don't know. That was definitely, I think it was a spur on just to see yeah. if, in a way, just to see if it still worked. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think I wouldn't have had a family so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if it hadn't been for that, so that's in a way it's good. Yeah. I mean, whenever, I think whenever you have children, you will think, God, I wish I'd done that younger. When yeah. I, well, I definitely do. When, when I had the strength, <laughs> I, I certainly wish that. So you had a couple of your kids after the chemo as well, then presumably. Yeah. Yeah. So that's super why. Strong. That's super why they're strong. so odd. This <laughs> <laughs> one has super strength. <laughs> Another one is incredibly timid, <laughs> but together. Uh, they're all normal. Fingers crossed you don't know. Do you? Yeah, what, is, what is normal? Mm. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Richard. For your time. For wonderful. your time. Thank you. <laughs> having us in your shed. Uh, see you on the road. <laughs> I'll be having you in my shed. <laughs> You're very welcome. What an interesting and thoughtful man Simon Munnery is. He's a brilliant comedian. Do check him out if you get the chance. And uh, he is a little bit more suspicious about the medical industry than perhaps I am. But it's still very fascinating to hear all of those thoughts. And now, for the final time, for a while at least, let's have another rummage in my bulging ball bag mailbag. You've been emailing us at cihmbb at gmail.com. That's the initialism of can I have my ball back at gmail.com. It's been a real highlight of the series for me to hear from you. Please do keep sending the stories in. We might be back with more episodes in the future. I think we probably will be, but I don't know when. As always, I would say it's very good to talk about this subject. So even if you don't email me, do talk to your friends about your experiences. I think it's helpful for everyone. Our first email of this episode is an absolute corker. It comes from Colin, who says, 
I grew up in Scotland. Oh, hold on, I have to read this in a different... I grew up in Scotland and moved to California for work. My, my producer Ben's telling me I have to do it in my own voice. I grew up in Scotland and moved to California for work. Whilst there, I got into the habit of not drinking enough water and became dehydrated. I didn't really realise this was happening, but my main symptom was that over a few weeks, I developed a very tender bollock. It ached constantly, and as I walked, every step caused a jarring that was like being flicked in the testicle by a malevolent time-travelling finger. Even worse, my man glutes started to solidify. <laughs> and I found little cubes of white jelly in my spunk when cleaning up after a wank. <laughs> Sorry, Colin, I'm not laughing at you. All experiences are valid. I was eventually diagnosed with a congested prostate. Who, who knew? Uh, my doctor told me that the solution was for him to manipulate my prostate to break down the solidifying area. So there I was, pants around my ankles, the doctor behind me with two fingers up my ass. He then proceeded to press hard on my secret walnut. The pressure roared into my bollock like a lightning strike. I screamed the only way a Scotsman knows how to scream by shouting, fuck me. This resulted in a nurse bursting into the room to find me bent over, trousers down, with tears in my eyes and the doctor still knuckles deep in my ass. Paying my bill to the same nurse at reception was probably the longest few minutes of my entire life. <laughs> oh, God. After the lightning strike, the doctor had actually asked me to try to milk out whatever I could so that he could get it out. <laughs> so that he could get it analysed. I couldn't even try. I just stood <laughs> I just stood absolutely still, cradling my cock and balls with tears running down my face. Thankfully, this was a one-off procedure. I'm not sure I'd have gone back for another. Instead, I began drinking lots of water every day and eventually shot out the final few blobs of jelly and the symptoms never came back. Love from Colin. <laughs> um, my producer has just put on the notes. Respond. I mean, you would think after all the years of genital research and genital jokes that I've done, I would have heard absolutely everything. But jelly in the sperm and being milked by your doctor. Colin, I'm going to have to let your beautiful words speak for themselves. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And... Um, Drink some water. I mean, drink water, everyone. That's the message there. Keep hydrated. <laughs> How dehydrated do you have to be to get jelly in your sperm? Whew. Now, this next email from Alan needs to come with a bit of a trigger warning. I can't really give details because that would need to come with their own trigger warning. But suffice to say, if you're squeamish, perhaps skip ahead three minutes. Uh, I've asked my producer Ben to put in the exact time once he's finished the edit, so hopefully you did that or I'm going to look stupid. Also, bear in mind, there was no trigger warning for Colin's story, so I have a feeling this story might be quite a lot, is what I'm going to say. I haven't read it yet. Let's go in together. Alan says, in June 2021, I said farewell to my old mate, Righty. The operation went fairly well, but the surgeon had trouble with the removal due to previous operations, undescended testes and a vasectomy. So I was black, blue, purple and swollen. Think a cricket ball sized scrotum, which is a little bit bloody and sore. I got sent home with meds and was told to rest up. I went back to the consultant twice in the next couple of weeks as my scrotum was heavy and still very colourful. Both times he said it was just fluid which would be absorbed back into my body. Great stuff, I thought. But I found out a few weeks later that he was literally talking bollocks. 
At the end of July, I went on holiday to Cornwall for a much-needed getaway with my wonderfully supportive wife. Things were going great until we had a bite to eat on the beach. During the picnic, I noticed a stain on my shorts. Thinking I'd spilt some food, I went to brush it off. If you're squeamish, stop listening. Uh, it wasn't food, it was blood. My swollen, colourful ball sack couldn't take the fluid pressure anymore and had popped. It wasn't painful, but it was bloody messy. I went to A&E where fortunately the urology consultant was on duty and he saw me the same day. They operated to drain and clean my nutsack and pack it with fabric ribbons. Afterwards the swelling had gone and I felt so much better. They sent me on my way with instructions to remove the packing after a day or two then to see my GP when I got home. I'm presuming the ribbons were outside of the scrotum. Roughly, nope. it sounds No? Okay. You remember the magic trick where the magician pulls a... <laughs> You remember the magic trick where the magician pulls a string of flags out from up their sleeves? My wife had the job of pulling on the ribbon they'd left sticking out of my scrotum and removing about six feet of odd-coloured ribbon. If that's not love, I don't know what is. I think that does beat my wife applying unguent to my jockstrap sores. I mean, you could have done it yourself as well. That's what I love. So it's nice that you got an assistant involved. I hope she had a feather boa on. Glad to say after the holiday, things went pretty much back to normal. I had a tough time trying to get my testosterone level sorted. But after many letters and phone calls, I got put on testosterone injections and started feeling like my old self again. I'm still having surveillance scans and blood tests every few months. But touch wood, all is going well so far. Best wishes, Alan. Uh, again, thanks for the honesty with these stories. It's absolutely incredible. The good humour as well within these sort of awful situations. But it is good to see the funny in it. It's good to talk about it. And again, uh, two emails, two things that I've never considered in my life. <laughs> Pulling ribbons out of your scrotum. <sighs> what an education. We've got to do more of these. We can just read the emails out for the next episodes. And finally, for now at least, I received an anonymous email titled Embarrassing Bodies, it says. I recently had testicular pain. I had a bit of mild discomfort. I blamed this on taking up cycling. But one night it was undeniable that something had changed. I think I would have been reluctant to say anything, but thanks to your openness, I was able to straightforwardly tell in turn my partner, the doctor's receptionist and the doctor. He was reassuring. The absence of swelling or lumps meant this was unlikely to be cancer, but I had a scan which confirmed it was varicocele. It's sad to think how many men have literally died of embarrassment in the past, but I suppose we need to make sure we don't take it too far and offer viewings to the bus queue. Yeah, I mean, don't show your testicles to anyone who has not consented to see them. Even if they're a medical professional, say, is it OK to show you something? They will say yes, of course. But yeah, thank you, Anonymous. It's always brilliant to hear that me talking about this has made other people happy to talk about it, has made other people happy to go to the doctors. Please do go to the doctors if you have anything. Uh, Varicocele is very treatable, nothing to worry about. And most of the things that will feel like a problem will turn out to be something pretty harmless and treatable but if you leave these things they can lead to complications so the sooner you get there the better your chances of getting through all of this with as little hassle as possible and that is that for now at least thank you so much for all those emails and messages it's really made a huge difference in this series please recommend it to other people the podcast is here for free you can buy the book if you want to and send that to all your friends. It's the ideal Christmas gift, I would say. If you want to find some testicles in your sack, what better time than Christmas? 
can I have my ball back? Out in paperback now. Available everywhere! Yeah, look, I, I've really enjoyed doing this and I hope we will do some more. But if not, or until then, please keep checking your junk. Whatever junk that may be, doesn't have to be testicles, any vulnerable parts. If anything changes, go and see your doctor if you have the slightest worry that anything might be wrong. They honestly won't mind. That was Can I Have My Ball Back? Presented by me, Richard Herring. Thanks so much to my guest, Simon Monnery, and to all the guests this series. I'm, of course, indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. Thanks also to Chris Evans, not that one. Oh, that one, he's not that one. And his son, Ben Evans. Uh, thank you also, of course, to my researcher, Alex Hiscock. Uh, George Linkford did a wonderful job recording the sound, despite his incompetence as a sound man. I'd also like to thank Rich Evans at Syncbox. Also, thank you to the Bill Murray and the Phoenix, where I recorded the stand-up. Two brilliant venues. Do check them out. The music by Gustav Holst is named after Jupiter, which, if you think about it, is the most swollen ball in our solar system. Not counting the sun, which, you know, if your ball's on fire that much, probably don't bother going to see a doctor. Thanks also to BMG Music Library. This is a Go Faster Stripe, Sky Potato and Fuzz production. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.